Welcome to the Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists. I'm your host, Raina Andrews, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, let me just introduce yourself. Well, myself. <laughs> I am a mother, a children's book author, a public health advocate, a TEDx speaker, and an engaged community member. I'm your host for the 2023 Coffee Conversations with Scientists series. You know, Coffee Conversations with Scientists is brought to you by Advancing a Healthy Wisconsin Endowment, which is a statewide nonprofit working to improve health and advance health equity in Wisconsin. Since early in 2021, we have been sharing the science behind today's most important health topics. And today is no exception. Today, I'm really excited because we're exploring the microscopic world within us. We're gonna have a conversation on the human microbium, microbiome, microbe. Many people say it many different ways, but it is the microbiome that we're discovering today. And I'm joined by our local expert, Dr. Nita, Dr. Nita Selzman. Professor, Pediatrics and Microbiology and Immunology, Director, Medical Scientist Training Program, and Founding Director, Director for the Center for, Mi for Microbiome Research at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Welcome, Dr. Salzman. Thank you, Raina. Thank you for inviting me here today. Absolutely. So folks out there in the interwebs, we will be covering a great list of questions on the role bacteria play in our bodies. Yes, for those germaphobes out there, there's good bacteria and it's necessary for our inner workings. We have a lot to cover in a very short coffee break, so I will make sure that the questions that I'm encouraging you to send in the chat on our live stream, we will be sure to get to some of your questions by the end of today's program. So let's get to it, okay? So kicking things off, Dr. Salzman, mm -hmm. could you provide a brief overview of what the human microbiome is and why it's so crucial to our overall health. So the human microbiome refers to the trillions of microorganisms, including bacteria, viruses, fungi, and parasites that live in or on our bodies. Um, most, they, most live in our gut. Um, there's a, a slide I'd like to show you showing uh, the makeup of the human microbiome. Uh, humans have 30 trillion cells and 20,000 human genes, but our microbiome has 39 trillion microbes and between two and 20 million microbial genes. So in total, uh, we're actually more microbial than we are human, uh, with the human genome making only up 1% of the total genetic material in this sort of human microbe ecosystem that we're part of. Um, the Microorganisms play a very important role in a variety of functions in our bodies, from digestion to immune response and um, overall metabolism. Um, and in fact, we, we talk a lot about the human microbiome, but almost everything in the environment has a microbiome. Uh, for example, there's a soil microbiome, and the soil microbiome is part of the terroir that contributes to the taste of wine grapes, for example. Um, and um, ultimately to the taste of, of specific wines. Um, cheese has a microbiota that uh, contributes to cheese ripening and flavor. Um, in fact, the bacterial composition of cheese is a carefully guarded secret in uh, some cheesemakers in Europe um, because that's the, the secret to the flavor of their cheese. So, so can, you, can you elaborate just on the role that bacteria specifically plays within our bodies and how they form like these little microbiome communities. 
So um, bacteria are the best studied uh, component of the microbiome. Um, and they're sort of key players. They're the ones we understand the most. It's not entirely sure that they're most the most populous because there are probably more viruses and bacteriophage in our microbiome than even bacteria. So in our gut, um, they can act as this huge metabolic engine. They can ferment non-digestible dietary fiber um, and they extract energy from it and nutrients from it. And they provide that energy and the nutrients to us, the host. Um, in addition, the byproducts of bacterial fermentation, so what the bacteria produce contribute to the development and the function of the immune system. Um, they synthesize vitamins. They're actually also major producers of serotonin, uh, which impacts our brain function. So there is definitely a gut-brain connection. Um, the microorganisms form these complex communities or ecosystems. Um, so you think about sort of the greater ecosystem, well, this is our internal ecosystem. Um, and they depend on each other for nutrition. So some bacteria depend on the byproducts of other bacteria to survive. Yeah. So they only grow in these complex communities. They can't grow on their own. And ultimately they form this consortium that interacts with us, the host, uh, to maintain a balance in our metabolism and our immune system. So it's clear that bacteria are essential. But are there distinctions between good and bad bacteria? Like, how does this impact our overall well-being? Okay, so that's actually a really good question. It's not one that has an easy answer, though. Um, there, I don't usually like to think of bacteria as good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, there are relatively few truly bad bacteria that almost always cause human disease. And we would call them pathogens or pathogenic bacteria. Um, but pathogenic bacteria aren't pathogenic to all species. So bacteria that can live perfectly okay in say a chicken, like salmonella doesn't make the chicken sick, but if we eat it, we get very sick. So it's all about the bacteria communicating with the host and the particular host. Um, in our gut ecosystem, you have a combination for the most part of beneficial microbes um, and also bystanders that just happen to be along for the ride. Um, and they are kept in balance by our immune system. So when in balance, this ecosystem contributes um, in positive ways to our health. Um, it supports various functions in digestion, immune functions. Um, but when they're imbalanced, it can lead to various health issues, such as infections, digestive problems, um, obesity, things of that nature. Um, and for the most part, our immune system doesn't see our microbiome as a threat and keeps it in check without causing any disease or inflammation. But when the balance is disrupted, either by problems with our immune system or problems with the bacterial populations, the result is that you can have inflammation. Um, and you can imagine what would happen if our bodies perceived all of this bacteria as a threat, we would even a small percentage of this bacteria, we would have inflammation all the time because it would our immune system would always be responding strongly to the presence of this bacteria. Um, and in fact, this is what happens with people who have inflammatory bowel disease. Um, they have an abnormal immune response to their own colonizing bacteria and that results in chronic inflammation. Um, 
if you look at it really simplistically, bacteria have a goal to eat and divide. So that their, their goal is survival. They want to eat, they want to divide, reproduce, and they're neither good nor bad, okay? They are kept in check by our immune system. In the absence of our immune barriers, they'll invade us because they can. You know, they don't have any particular opinion about it. Um, we are food, right? So after someone dies, the barriers break down and bacteria will invade from the gut, um, which actually is what con uh, contributes to a body's decomposition after death. So, so like bacteria, I said, we're just food. We're just yeah. food for the bacteria. We're just food for the bacteria. Yeah. You know, Dr. Salzman, I want to follow up on a point that you made. You, you mentioned that when imbalanced, Mm -hmm. various health issues and obesity being one of them and with the obesity crisis that we have in america how does an imbalance of the bacteria in your body contribute to obesity mm. so that's actually an interesting question um I, I forgot to mention i had a nice slide for uh, i don't know if it was put up about what we're trying to balance here our immune system is is balancing this enormous bacterial burden mm -hmm. so the particular contributions to obesity are complicated. Mm -hmm. um, we, if bacteria in your gut is more efficient at extracting nutrients from your food than say another person, well, you could eat a meal and extract more nutrients from that meal than somebody with different composition of bacteria in their gut. That is a very simplistic way of looking at it. It has gotten far more sophisticated in terms of bacteria that contribute to or um, limit obesity. Other people have seen that if you disrupt bacteria, as in reduce the numbers of bacteria in your gut, um, that bacteria is responsible for using energy and using calories. So it's actually responsible for your metabolic rate, your resting metabolic rate. So in the absence of bacteria, your resting metabolic rate is changed and you can gain weight. Um, this happens with certain medications that people take that are associated with weight gain. It's certain, uh, certainly associated with antibiotic use. Um, in um, this country, we use uh, low-level antibiotics in agriculture, in some agriculture, because it makes animals grow bigger and fatter. Oh, like our chickens and our cows. Yeah, that means. And, and so we have to assume that if we use antibiotics, um, they're making us grow bigger and fatter, faster, us being uh, mammals as well. So That's a really good point. And I want to put a pin in that because I want to come back to, um, it, you made a very interesting point how antibiotics can make our, our animals grow bigger, faster, and in turn, we are what we eat in effect, but this is, it's a very different practice in other parts of the world, let's say Europe, correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. I went to a meeting once that talked about what they use in Europe to grow animals faster mm -hmm. and what they use is artificial sweeteners. Oh. So that's actually sort of a concern because we think of artificial sweeteners as a diet aid, right. but if they're making animals grow, agricultural animals grow bigger and fatter, then I assume they're making us grow big, bigger and fatter as well. And it's through a relatively complicated pathway um, involving sweet taste receptors in the mouth. So it's actually the, that that turns on your insulin signaling and, and 
which is a growth hormone. So this is very interesting. So how can our lifestyle choices, especially our diet, as we're talking about um, artificial sweeteners and obesity, now how does especially how does our diet influence the composition of our microbiome and in turn impact our immune system? So it, it has a lot of influence. Our microbiome is selected by two things. One is our genetics, basically the makeup of our, our genetic makeup, and the other is our diet. Those are the two major environmental. Um, well, the diet is a major environmental impact on our microbiome. And then medication, antibiotics, all those other things we come across um, are also environmental factors. But our, our diet is, plays a, a very significant role. So depending on what you feed your microbiome, um, you are going to have different outcomes. If you feed bacteria that is beneficial, that uh, whose byproducts benefit your immune health, um, then that will be beneficial. If you feed bacteria that whose byproducts are not um, contributing to immune health, that will be harmful. Uh, for instance, um, fiber, which actually the American diet is very low in fiber, the standard American diet, um, which we call SAD for short for standard American yeah. diet. Like um, it should be a complete revamp and we can go there another day. But yeah, but, but really um, bacteria that are beneficial ferment are fermenters. They ferment the fiber in your gut. They produce um, byproducts that are, are beneficial to your health and your immune system. So foods like um, fermented products, high fiber vegetables, beans, seeds, grains um, can act as fuel for beneficial bacteria in our gut. Um, so adding those foods will, will actually contribute to uh, overall gut health. Mm. Um, whereas other foods that don't feed those beneficial bacteria, um, those bacteria will shrink in numbers and their byproducts will uh, be diminished. And so we will lose that, that helpful protection. Mm. And so when you say helpful protection, like it, like good bacteria or certain bacteria create a layer of mucus that protects your, your cells from the bacteria? Okay, so the bacteria do not produce mucus. Okay. Our cells produce mucus and that's actually a major line of defense. We produce sort of buckets of mucus a day in our gut, maybe gross to think about, but it forms a protective coating over our gut mm -hmm. and it sort of keeps bacteria away mm -hmm. um, from the cells. Mm -hmm. So if you feed beneficial bacteria, they do not eat through the mucus. So they contribute to um, stimulating cells to produce mucus. They chew on the mucus a little bit, but they don't, um, they don't destroy it. If you change your diet and you don't feed the bacteria that eat fiber, the bacteria that you can have an increase in bacteria that like to eat the mucus because that's the food that's there and they can thin that layer between the bacteria and the host, which means the closer bacteria get to the host, the more potential they can have for causing uh, disease. You know, I've, I've heard that um, mucus is a breeding ground for disease in the body. Are there different types of mucuses here? Not to get off track because we're talking about bacteria today, but in the context of mucus being a protective barrier, this type of mucus is the good kind in your body. Well, the I think the issue would be overproduction okay. or underproduction. 
mm. of mucus or like in cases of people with cystic fibrosis, sort of a abnormal um, salt concentration that makes their mucus not behave the proper way and um, causes problems. Mm -hmm. Mucus itself, though, shouldn't really be a problem. I think it's if it's in the wrong place, if there's too much of it or if there's too little of it. Mm -hmm. Just a moment ago, we were talking about lifestyle choices and the impact that our diet has on our um, microbiome and which in turn affects our immune system. I'm wondering, many listeners probably, including myself, drink things like kombucha and have a prebiotic or a probiotic. Can you share what effects some of those products have on our microbiome? So a probiotic is a bact live bacterial product that is thought to have a beneficial effect. Um, a prebiotic is essentially food that feeds certain kinds of bacteria. So with a probiotic, it's not that they are without beneficial effect because some of them are beneficial. Um, it's just that there's very there's not a lot of research on sort of global effects of probiotics. Any bacteria that you ingest will, for the most part, only last in your system for a day or two. So you have to keep ingesting it. It doesn't actually change your colonization of your gut. The first bacteria that get there set up a system where they take up all available space and binding sites, and they um, they they basically contribute to something called colonization resistance, which means they won't let any other bacteria gain a foothold in your in your gut. So probiotics could have function while they're there, but they will not stay. Mm -hmm. um, and so you constantly have to have to take them. Uh, prebiotics will feed who's there, so it will change the ratios of bacteria that are uh, fiber fermenters versus bacteria that just eat sugars or things like that. So it will enhance uh, the bacteria that can enhance the bacteria that's beneficial or it can uh, limit the bacteria that's beneficial. So, I um, so prebiotics, you're not taking live bacteria, you're taking food for your bacteria, which is what your diet is. Feed your bugs. You know, you're feeding your, your bacterial colonies. Mm -hmm. It's that fermentation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think it's it's a good time for us to take a question from our audience. So the first question is, what role does genetics play in the health of an individual's microbiome? So this is an, a really interesting question. Um, I can talk about this just based on um, some of my research into uh, inflammatory bowel disease and Crohn's disease. So Crohn's disease is thought to be... A, um, basically based on a genetic genetic abnormalities that that drive an abnormal immune response to your own uh, bacteria or I think it's now an abnormal immune response to your own bacteria in a genetically susceptible host. Um, what you have in Crohn's disease is is at least 200 different genetic variations that contribute to increased susceptibility for disease. Um, and many of those variations have to do with handling our, our immune response to bacteria. Mm -hmm. So people with uh, inflammatory bowel disease tend to have different colonization in their gut because they're, they're unable genetically to respond appropriately to bacteria. So bacterial handling is not 
is not the forte, genetic forte of individuals with, uh, with Crohn's disease. So even though you can treat the disease sometimes, it gets better with antibiotics because you clear out some of the big bacteria, your body is continuously selecting for bacteria that are not beneficial. What's interesting and with this question is what role does genetics play in the health of an individual's microbiome? Um, when we were first talking about this, you talked about at birth, you know, bacteria is introduced to, to your body, whether it's a vaginal birth or a cesarean section. Can you say more about that? Like so you, you're, the first bacteria that get there usually uh, set up shop, you know, and make it, you know, make it harder for the next bacteria to, to, to take their space. Um, so if you're born um, through vaginal delivery, you will be colonized by mom's uh, vaginal microbiota. And, you know, because delivery is not exactly a sterile event, also fecal microbiota. Um, if you're born by cesarean section, the first bacteria there tend to be uh, the maternal skin microbiota. Um, and then, um, feeding has a lot to do with it. Um, babies that get formula, um, you feed whatever's there, um, somewhat indiscriminately, um, babies who get breast milk, um, breast milk has nutrition, but it also has interesting products in it, uh, particularly, um, uh, a group of sugars called human milk oligosaccharides. Now it turns out that the human gut can't digest those products. The only thing that digests those products is one specific bacteria um, called bifidobacteria. Um, so bifidobacteria infantis is a matter of fact, a particular strain. So babies that are breastfed are set up to colonize with this strain of bacteria that's beneficial. So we actually are programmed to be colonized by appropriate bacteria. Wow. So I had no idea that there's this whole world working, this, this inner working communities within us. Um, another one of our questions that I was quite curious about is how does the environment, including factors like pollution or antibiotics affect our micro, microbiome communities within us? So both of those things can influence the microbiome. Antibiotics and other medications can disrupt the balance of the microbial communities. Antibiotics for sure will disrupt your microbiome, which will then recover, but it never recovers to exactly where it started. It, cover, it recovers to close to where it started. So several rounds of antibiotics, you could, um, you'll develop a new normal, okay? Which might not be as good as the old normal. Um, the, um, there is some evidence, so this is not an area that I've studied at all, uh, that pollutants like the PFAS or PFAS or whatever you want to call them can alter the microbiome. Um, so the PFAS, um, which are used to make uh, flame retardants um, that accumulate in the environment, and now it's a, uh, I guess it's a big cause of concern in our water system, they can do things like thin the mucus layer in our gut which will lead to alterations in our microbiome. Um, so it's useful to be at least mindful of these things uh, going forward. Into that point, the significance of that is that le like um, 
shortening or thinning out that mucus la layer makes you more susceptible to those um, bacterial diseases or viruses. Exactly, to inflammatory inflammation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, other things like we put antimicrobials in a lot of things now. Soaps. Well, antimicrobial soap, which is sort of weird since soap itself is antimicrobial. So it doesn't really need to put antimicrobials in it. Um, toothpaste, um, triclosan, which is in a lot of toothpastes. Um, their microban and socks. I mean, we put antimicrobials in a lot of things. Um, and those can accumulate. I mean, there's been evidence that, that triclosan definitely disrupts the microbiome. Um, so anything that you could, uh, you could ingest, even if not intentionally, if the more antimicrobials that are in the environment, the more risk there is uh, for ingesting them. So, you know, earlier, earlier in another question, you mentioned antibiotics and how they can really be good for you and life-saving, but taking them constantly can really hurt your bacteria, the bacteria in your body. Well, every time you take antibiotics, you're going to be killing off some bacteria. That's what they do. Antibiotics are not all that specific, although you know, you get broad spectrum antibiotics that kill off a lot of things. You can get more specific ones for specific diseases, but even the specific ones aren't incredibly specific um, and will kill off bacteria. Um, and while antibiotics have saved innumerable lives, so I don't want to suggest that you shouldn't take antibiotics when you need them. Obviously, you have to take antibiotics when you need them, um, but they don't come without collateral damage. And I think for for decades, we sort of assumed there was no other effect of the antibiotics. But now there's suggestion that there are effects of the antibiotics. And if we think about the obesity epidemic, for example, there are many different things that are pointed to uh, that have changed in our environment that could lead to obesity. Um, and the microbiome is one of them. So say over the last 50 to 75 years, We've had the introduction of antibiotics. We've had the introduction of artificial sweeteners. We've had the introduction of a lot of different pollutants in our environment, all of which could be having an effect. So we've seen rises in diseases like obesity, but we've also seen increases in um, type one diabetes, type two diabetes, metabolic syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease. All of these things have increased over that period of time and that is too fast for genetics. Our genetics don't change that fast because our generation, human generation time is not that fast. Um, but I think one of the things we've definitely changed is our microbiome. Mm -hmm. And it has been, the changes in our microbiome have been implicated in all of those diseases. Um, we'll take just one more question from our audience. The question is, is it possible to kill off bacteria and replace it with healthier forms? Not entirely clear. Um, the original question, I'm just paraphrasing. The original question is, what about killing off the bacteria there to replace it with healthier forms? So let's say if you have an overgrowth of bad bacteria in your body, um, is it possible to get rid of it, like take some type of product or get a surgery to get yeah. rid of it, to introduce a healthier bacteria in your body? Definitely. Um, okay, so one really good example of that is um, Clostridium difficile colitis, C. diff colitis, okay. um, which people get when they often, when they've they've been 
they've ingested some spores of C. diff. It hangs out in your gut. It doesn't cause you any problems. Um, and then they get a, a broad spectrum antibiotic for a long period of time. And you kill off a lot of other bacteria and it allows this bacteria to sporulate and grow. Okay. And then it gives you this sort of bloody colitis, which is very nasty. Mm. So for years it had been treated with antibiotics. And then you have this problem. You give antibiotics that kills off the C. diff, but it also kills off more bacteria, not just the C. diff. And then it becomes a race. What, what recovers faster, the, the pathogen, the C. diff, or your microbiome? So often the C. diff recovers faster and then you get a recurrence and you wind up in this endless loop of antibiotic treatment, recurrence, antibiotic treatment. So what they've done now is one of the treatments after you fail the first round or second round of antibiotics is they give you a fecal transplant. And that's basically giving you the whole ecosystem of bacteria from a donor. Um, and it has, um, with one or two rounds of fecal transplant, it has a 90% plus cure rate for C. diff because what you've done is you've given somebody the whole community back that then um, keeps that, uh, what the few bacteria that are left of C. diff, it keeps them in check and prevents them from dividing and, and um, causing disease. So it's very effective. It has a high, sort of a high yuck factor, you know, the idea of ingesting um, uh, fecal pellets from, which are usually frozen and they can be swallowed or they can be uh, suppositoried or, you know, things like that. It's unappealing, but it actually is very effective. I'm mind boggled because I'm like, wow. So. I didn't know that there's a whole industry for people donating fecal colonies that other people consume to completely reset their microbiome. Yeah. The people, it comes with um, some challenges. The people who donate obviously have to be tested for every known disease, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't want to give somebody this and give them an infection or something. So... Uh, donors are very carefully screened, I believe. Not that I've, you know, investigated that too far. Um, but the one of the things that people are trying to do is make up consortia of bacteria separate from an individual, so they know what's in there, um, and use that to give uh, to individuals because it could be better controlled of exactly what you're giving somebody, and you could know that there's no potential pathogens in there. Um, those haven't worked a hundred percent yet, but there are a lot of companies working on that. Wow. And well, with that, um, thank you, Dr. Salzman for shedding light on the inner, it, the really intricate world of the human microbiome. I had no idea, but that is the beauty of coffee conversations with scientists. And now I'm very clear and have a greater understanding, um, on how nurturing our microbial communities are vital for optimal health. We appreciate you so much for taking the time to talk with us about this very important topic. Well, thank you again uh, for inviting me on. Absolutely. And for those out there in the interwebs, if you didn't get to your question, please feel free to send us a note at conversations at ncw.edu. I hope you all join us next month for a virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist. Have a good one. The Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists is sponsored by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment.
Coffee Conversations with Scientists occur monthly as Facebook Live events and are produced by the Medical College of Wisconsin. We hope you join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist.